But if you have your Bibles, if you turn to Exodus chapter 20, which is where we find the Ten Commandments, it's page 77 in the Church Bibles and page 116 in the Large Print Bibles. Uh, but before we uh, begin, uh, we're going to uh, read uh, some of the, t- well, one of the Ten Commandments together. Uh, so each week we'll build up uh, Exodus chapter 20, uh, so if we can uh, learn it as we read it each week, that it gets ingrained into our minds. So here are uh, the first uh, three verses, uh, which in verse 3 uh, contains the first commandment which we are going to look at uh, tonight. So let's, uh, just in our seats, uh, that you don't need to stand, uh, let's read uh, this uh, scripture together. <clears throat> and God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Well, I'm going to begin with some words which hopefully uh, are familiar uh, to, uh, well, probably all of you. These are the words. I call upon these persons here present to witness that I do take you to be my lawful wedded husband. I will be faithful to you from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness or in health, to love, honor, and obey you till death us do part. Will you have this man to be your husband, to live together after God's ordinance in the special relationship of marriage? Will you love him, serve him, pray for him and with him, honor and obey him in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others, keep yourself only for him so long as you both shall live." Now, you should recognize those words. Uh, Certainly, if you are married in this country, uh, I'd be very uh, kind of annoyed if you haven't uh, figured out what those words are from. Uh, They are, of course, uh, wedding vows. They are the traditional wedding vows uh, that uh, are vows of exclusivity. So when we say, I will be faithful to you, it is not a plural you, is it? You love and you serve no matter what the circumstances, forsaking all others, one person for the rest of your lives until one of you uh, dies. Now we make these vows on our wedding day and then they become demands on us that we have to fulfill until one dies. That's the kind of uh, demand that God places on us when he says, you shall have no other gods before me. A wedding vow is a really great example of what God is talking about here, which is exclusive loyalty. Uh, Here's another way of looking at this command. I call upon these persons here present to witness that I do take you to be my God. I will be faithful to you from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness or in health, to love, honor, and obey you till death us do part. Will you have this God to be your God, to live together according to God's commands in the special relationship of marriage, 
Will you love him, serve him, pray to him, honor and obey him in sickness and in health, and forsaking all other gods, keep yourself only for him so long as you both shall live? You see, it's a very similar kind of loyalty that we're talking about here. That's what God is asking of his people, and it is a most radical command, as we shall see. When Moses was given these Ten Commandments, you may remember that the Israelites had just left Egypt, and they were on their way to the promised land of Canaan. And the people both of Egypt and of the land of Canaan that they were going into were nations where they worshipped many different gods. They were uh, polytheists. They had many gods who served all sorts of purposes. They were gods for the harvest, gods uh, for the sun, for fertility, and so on it goes. If they had a problem in their life, no doubt there was a god that they could go and worship and expect to fulfill the need that they had. And so for Israel to promise that they would forsake all other gods and be faithful to one God alone in their culture was an extremely radical command, and it made Israel stand out among all the nations around them. Now, this again makes sense in terms of marriage. If I was in my uh, marriage to to bring home another woman and tell my wife that, well, I'm going to spend some time with this woman, but don't worry, it'll be one day out of seven. So you get six The other woman gets one, surely that arrangement's fine. Well, of course, the arrangement's not fine at all. No sensible person would accept that that is okay. And so with Israel and so with us, we cannot just give God worship uh, six days even out of seven. He demands our exclusive loyalty all of the time. But what about us? Perhaps we don't have gods uh, that are statues or gods of specific uh, purposes? Uh, Can we restrict this command to just don't follow any other religion, just be a Christian? So should we just stay away from Muhammad and Buddha and we've got this one down? Well, no, the first commandment is way uh, deeper than that. And what uh, what, what constitutes a god is way deeper than that. The reformer Martin Luther defined a God like this. He said, It's that upon which you set your heart and you put your trust properly in is your God. Let me say that again. That upon which you set your heart and put your trust properly in is your God. What your heart is set for, what you trust in, is your God. And so while most of us probably don't have a little wooden statue at home that we bow down to, there are many gods that are defined as gods because we put our trust in them and we set our heart upon them. Or we desire them. Uh, These can be termed as functional gods. Uh, Gods that perhaps we don't even see as such but they function as gods because we desire them and we trust them. Uh, Jesus gives an example, actually, in Matthew chapter 6. He says, no one can serve two masters. You could have, instead of masters, gods. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. 
You cannot serve both God and money. So Jesus there uses money as an example of a functional God. Notice here in this verse the exclusivity. You cannot serve both God and money. And he means here uh, at no time. You can't uh, even go 99% God and 1% money. You can't serve both. Money is something that you can desire. Money is something that you can love more than anything else. Money is something you can put your trust in. It is a, a functional God. But there are so many of these functional gods in our world. And all of us will be tempted at some point to put our trust in some of these gods. Now let me, let me list some of them. But the list is not exhaustive. It could just go on and on. But here are some functional gods that you may recognize as things that you put your heart in and trust in. Uh, possessions, pleasure, food, self or independence, power, family, reputation or what people think of me, success, image, appearance, fashion, technology, music, popularity, and the list could just go on and on and on, couldn't it? Now we'll think about those functional gods and apply it a bit more personally at the end. But to summarize the meaning of what this command is saying, the first command is exclusive loyalty to the Lord our God, forsaking all others. That's the first commandment. The first commandment is exclusive loyalty to the Lord our God, forsaking all other gods. Now last week when we were, or the week before last rather, when we were being introduced to the Ten Commandments, uh, we said that there are four words that can help us understand them. There is freedom, uh, what God wants for you, uh, failure, what we have failed to do, fulfillment, what Jesus has done for you, and future, what God will do in you. And when using that structure, we can see how this first commandment, uh, it, it, what, it, what it means and how it applies to us, and how with the psalmist, we can say to God with this first commandment, oh, how I love your law. Because that's when we read the Ten Commandments, where we should end up, loving the law of God. So first of all, the freedom of exclusive loyalty. How does this command to have one God and forsake all other gods, free us. Because when you uh, think about it, when we say you can only have one God, it can sound kind of restrictive, can't it? You can't worship any others, but only one. Well, the freedom of this commandment is connected to the God who speaks this commandment. The first commandment follows verses 1 and 2. And in these verses, we see who God is, and we see what this God is like. Let's read those verses again. I'll, I'll read them this time rather than all of us. Uh, but Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So first of all here we see who is this God? Well, he is the Lord. And in our Bibles, uh, Lord, as is written here, is the translation of the personal name of God for his people. 
It comes from the beginning of Exodus when God says to Moses that his name is, I am who I am. That is the name that God has given personally to his people. So the name itself shows the exclusivity of God. He is God. There is no other God. I am who I am. I am God. There is no other. But also, I am your God. He is your God. And he is the only God. And when we come to the New Testament, we see that Jesus is this God. We read that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And for us, being freed by this command and obeying it is recognizing Jesus is God and I'm going to follow Jesus. But as well as telling us who he is, this God tells us what he's like and he is a freeing God, isn't he? Because he says here that he frees them from slavery. The Israelites didn't like slavery. They cried out to God to free them from slavery and this God, the Lord, delivered them from slavery. He freed them. So this is the God who is our God who has freed us from slavery. The Israelites were slaves to another so-called God, Pharaoh, in the land of many so-called gods. But those gods did not and do not free. And none of the functional gods that we worship will ever free us. They only ever like Pharaoh and all the other gods of Egypt, they only ever enslave. You see? This God frees us. All other gods enslave us. And in fact, you can look through the commandments and you can see through those some of the so-called gods that they speak against. Uh, we have the God of independence by dishonoring parents. I don't want to follow uh, any authority, I want to go my own way. Uh, we have the God of power with murder. We have the God uh, of sex with adultery. We have the God of reputation with lies. We have the God of possessions with covetousness. And there are many more gods besides that these commandments speak against. But these commandments are freeing us from those idols that we worship. And we'll see how they enslave us as we go through. But just a, a couple of examples. If you think about the God of possessions, wanting more and more, when is enough enough? That God enslaves us. Because if that's your God, you will never have enough. You'll always be wanting more. Because that God tells you you need more and more and more and bigger and better and the latest or whatever to, to make you happy. And it's never enough. Or sex God. We have the God, uh, uh, the, the sex God that tells us that that'll, that'll delight us and, and it'll free us. But it's never freeing. The consequences are destructive. And it's never again. It's never enough. Our lust is never satisfied. And it gets deeper and it gets darker. It's enslaving. Or perhaps the God where, of reputation where... Uh, you want everyone to like you, and you've got to keep up an act all the time, and it's just exhausting, isn't it? You can never really be uh, anyone other than what everyone else wants you to be. 
trying to get a laugh here and there all the time, and it's just exhausting. It's enslaving, isn't it? Other gods always demand more and more, whereas the Lord our God gives and gives. We find other gods never satisfy, whereas the Lord our God gives life and freedom. What we find is that the gods that we worship that are not the Lord our God are what Jeremiah calls broken cisterns in Jeremiah chapter 2. We read this in our Bible reading, uh, but it's helpful to look at this particular verse. It says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. It's a great... Uh, illustration there, isn't it? That God is this God who gives and gives living water that, that satisfies, and the other gods are cisterns that you keep trying to fill, but they're broken. They cannot hold that water of life. They never satisfy. This chapter in Jeremiah was written to the people of God who had been given these very commandments, but had forsaken the God who gave them. Remember when we read that chapter, that word forsake, comes over and over again. And then in the Old Testament, we see that Israel's history is of a people who follow other gods and discover too late that those other gods are useless, worthless, and pathetic. But the Lord, our God, is not like that. He truly frees us. He is our creator who knows us, He loves us. He knows what is good for us. He is our Father. He is our Savior. And who has shown us in freeing us and forgiving us that he wants our good. And so as he gives these commands to worship him alone, it is for our good and for our freedom that he does so. And the Lord our God does uh, three things for us in these commands and throughout the Bible that no other God does. Our God delivers us. That is, he frees us from the slavery of other gods. Our God defines us. That is, he identifies us as his people. And our God delights us. He shows us how to live free. He he delivers us. He defines us. He delights us. No other God does that. Only the Lord our God. And whenever we go after another God... It is like going after those broken systems. They never hold water. They never satisfy. They enslave and they destroy. But the Lord our God is so much better. This God has loved us. He has delivered us, defined us, delighted us. What other God can ever do that? None. Well, Israel, as I've said, failed to keep this command. We see them all through the Old Testament following after other gods. And so do we. It's not hard to see in us the failure of disloyalty. When we realize that gods are those things that we desire most and what we trust in, we should be able to see for all of us the extent of our failure here. We cannot serve Jesus and one, of, one or more of any other functional God. Just like the ancient idol worshippers, though, we uh, so often look for what will give us an easy life, uh, pleasure, comfort, security, 
or whatever, don't we? Uh, Paul describes this failure perfectly in Romans chapter 1. He says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings, and birds and animals and reptiles. Notice the exchange there. We swap God, the Lord our God, for something that we think will act like God. And that happens for all sorts of reasons, perhaps in our lives especially, maybe when things start going wrong and we're under a bit of pressure. At that point, where do we turn for our trust? So often we exchange the Lord our God for something else that we think will function better. We have failed to be loyal to God and have done the equivalent to God of having an affair with someone who is not your spouse. Throughout the Old Testament, Israel's treatment of God is so often described as adultery because the vows that they are to make to God from this command are like the marriage vows that we talked of. And this has happened to all of us. But there is hope because there is one man who never forsook God and always obeyed. Jesus shows us the fulfillment of exclusive loyalty. Uh, Jesus made claims to loyalty when he said things like this, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. So he claims to do his father's will. He is loyal to his heavenly father. But Jesus was tempted to forsake his father. When he was in the wilderness, being tempted by the devil, we read this. The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Exclusive loyalty. Jesus was tempted, but he said, no, I worship the Lord and him alone. Jesus always obeyed. He never forsook his father, but forsaking all others, he did his father's will. He fulfilled the law of exclusive loyalty. But whilst Jesus never forsook his father, his father forsook him. As he dies on the cross, Jesus cries, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was separated from the Father's presence and bore the weight of our forsaking God and putting other gods before him. He died for our failure to obey this command. Our disloyalty was paid for by Jesus on the cross. And so now, because he rose again and he gives us new life, when we are forgiven and given the gift of the Holy Spirit, we have a future of exclusive loyalty. So God is at work in us 
so that we can give him that exclusive loyalty for his glory and for our eternal good. Now we have seen what other gods are and how we have failed, but now as we look at the future that God has for us, what does obeying this command look like in our lives? Well, first of all, it is acknowledging that Jesus is our God. We confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. And then we live with our lives that confession. How do we do that? Well, uh, Psalm chapter 16 and verse 8 says this. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Keeping our eyes always on the Lord. So these other gods are going to call on you. They will ask for your loyalty. But our eyes need to be fixed on the Lord our God. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. Thinking and seeing his beauty and his goodness. Remembering that he is the God who has freed us from slavery, who has died for our sins, who is risen from the dead, who gives us life, who is not a broken cistern that leaks, but is the spring of living water that gives and gives and gives. Like in a marriage, it's remembering the vows that you have made to him. And to be, I mean, if think about it in terms of a marriage, uh, at least our minds should be this way, that it's, isn't it horrifying to think about going off with somebody else? But that's how it should be also with God. It should horrify us. Why would I do that? No. So we strive to love God more than we love anything else. And we trust him more than we trust anything else. And we strive for this now with the help of the Holy Spirit and with the power of the Holy Spirit. We're able to fulfill this command because the God who spoke it has written it on our hearts with that new covenant that we've been looking at in Jeremiah. He's written it on our hearts so that we can live it out in our lives. But we're still going to have to fight that battle to be exclusively loyal to God But this also, remember, all of these Ten Commandments are promises to us that one day this will be true of you. And interestingly, as we began this message with wedding vows, uh, the Bible at the end also has a wedding, a wedding in heaven. Uh, Revelation chapter 19 says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And later on in Revelation, we read how we will be God's people and he will be our God. There will be no sin. There will be no other gods even available to worship. No other calls on your loyalty. You will be his, he will be ours, worshipping only him forevermore. And truly it will be said of all of us, you shall have no other gods before me. We will be totally, 
exclusively loyal to the Lord our God who has loved us and died for us and given us eternal life. That journey starts now, but it ends in glory where we shall have no other gods before him.